Welcome to And The Writer Is with Ross Golan. There are millions of singers, thousands of artists, and only 40 songs per genre at a time. These are the stories of the hottest creatives, the most venerable legends, artists, songwriters, executives, and more. Come join our Discord, follow our socials, and share your music with the And The Writer Is community. We'll see you all there, and now, here's this week's episode. Hey, what's up? It's Paige McDonald, and this is your weekly music industry update. U.S. recorded music revenues hit $7.7 billion in H1 of 2022, but growth slowed compared to H1 in 2021. Los Angeles-based manager Luke Mitzman of 100 Management and music entrepreneur Mike Karen of Artist Partner and Artist Publishing Group have entered into a partnership focusing on music producers and entrepreneurs. Robert Kinkle has been appointed CEO of Warner Music Group, effective January 1st of 2023. Sony Music Entertainment's entire recorded music catalog has been pulled from Resso, which is TikTok's sister subscription platform. Cobalt has agreed upon a fresh licensing agreement with Meta, the new deal struck to license 700,000 songs for Facebook. Influence Media Partners has made another multi-million dollar acquisition since forming a $750 million fund with BlackRock and Warner Music Group. YouTube has launched a creator music licensing hub and a new revenue sharing model for shorts. The France-born distribution and services company Believe has made several new appointments in its Southeast Asia leadership team. The independent rock label Sumerian Records has signed a long-term distribution agreement with Virgin Music Label and Artist Services. Downtown Music Holdings has established a new division to manage its global services for artists and songwriters after months of making key hires across its business. ByteDance is offering to buy back up to $3 billion worth of shares from investors at $176.94 apiece, according to multiple media outlets which cited ByteDance memo on Friday, September 16th. Tencent Music Entertainment Group has successfully been listed on the main board of the Hong Kong Stock Exchange. Warner Music UK has promoted Charlotte Sachs to SVP Legal and Business Affairs effective October 3rd. Millie Petriella is joining talent management company Milk & Honey. Universal Music Group has promoted Pete Simmons to head of A&R UK, effective immediately. A big thank you to Haley Evans of Mega House for gathering today's news. Now tune in next week for a new episode of And The Writer Is. Welcome to And The Writer Is. I am your host, Ross Golan. Today's rock stars are the founding members of what Billboard magazine called the most successful rock band of the 2000s. Amassing hits for over two decades, their band has sold over 
50 million albums worldwide and over 4.7 billion streams. By the time we're done with this podcast, probably like 4.7001. But it's like a lot of streams. They've topped every kind of radio format, sold out world tours in the biggest of venues, and have been nominated and received every music award you can name. They're the band everyone loves to love, loves to hate, and loves to love again and again and again. All the way from British Columbia by way of Alberta. These guys just dropped their first single in five years. And the writer is R. Chad Kroger and Ryan Peake of Nickelback. How's it going, man? Hey, guys. Hey, thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Hey. All the way from here, yeah. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> Okay, so I mean, like you guys, obviously, you know, uh, you you guys started this band in a very small town, and uh, it's it's always amazing when you think of uh, hot spots for music. I don't know that I would think of uh, Alberta as as like a, a major hot spot, but um, apparently, you guys came, you know, from uh, like the smallest towns of a, uh, you know, you guys are now in Vancouver. But you weren't when you started. So let's let's just talk about uh, you guys were you you know you guys were born not together, but you know yeah, you guys are born. That's tell, very tell true. Tell me about your childhood. You're nailing this so far. Your tra- so far, so good. Yeah, you're yeah, tell me about it, yeah. your childhood. You know, you know, Alberta's a <laughs> hotbed for hockey players, not musicians. Maybe I don't know. Maybe true. I think. Yeah. Yeah. I would. Are there other are there other musicians out of Alberta that we all know? Katie Lang. She from there. Katie Lang Consort, Consort Alberta. Um, let me think. Why? Why? Um, how? How does? I guess let's start for, really though from Jennard. the beginning. Because yeah. Chad, I know your brother was part of the original lineup and all this stuff. Feist. How do you? How do you guys? Uh, yeah, that's a good one. We're gonna keep rattling you, them off did, here. Sorry, man. Just gonna keep rattling them off. <laughs> I mean, here. R- rattling them off very slowly. Um, mm-hmm. Which. <laughs> You know, you got. Tell me about your childhood. How does how does literally how does somebody go from the middle of what I think of the middle of nowhere, somewhere very cold, somewhere that doesn't have, you know, it's not like all the bands are touring through your hometown. You know, what is your childhood like? Who's introducing you guys to music? Chad, you go first. Tell me about your your childhood a little bit. Um. Well, I started off as a. I loved getting into trouble. That's, uh, I loved just being a little deviant. Um, and I think the first time I grabbed a guitar, it was a great outlet. And I got all that negative stuff. Like anytime I wanted to grab a can of spray paint or start making uh, smoke bombs in my fort in my backyard or any of that stuff, it's like as soon as I got my hands on a guitar, I was like, ah, this is, this is a great pl- place to channel all of this. This uh, negative behavior, bad behavior. Where was and, that? Um, where was that coming from? Where is that negative behavior coming from? Oh, hot blood. Long say, line of genetic. Long line of troublemakers. Your dad's a wild man. Is it? Yeah. Is it really your your parents? Was your childhood sort of did it uh, enable that kind of activity? Like why? Why? How does a kid become a bad kid in the middle of nowhere? Uh, genetics. Let's my, dig deeper. Let's scratch more than the service a, here, Chad. Come on. My dad is a uh, bar fighter with a criminal record as long as my leg because he loves uh. to fight and he's really good at it. 
Um, and so I think I come by it very honestly. But I mean, it's not like he was even around when I was growing up. Uh, my dad, um, my mom and, uh, and dad split up when I was two. And um, my dad only kind of really re-entered my life once I was probably like a teenager, like 13, I think, old enough to go hang out with him. Um, but then once, uh, once I got the guitar, um, all of that energy went towards that. And it's funny, you, it was, you and Mike were so, so different, but you guys like music, you guys were locked in for sure together, I would imagine. Like yeah, it's weird though, like Mike would, once Mike started, because I think I was already playing the guitar for about two years before Mike decided to pick up the bass. And um, it's, it's, it's funny because we'll do a lot of interviews and people are like, oh, so you guys must have just jammed together all the time. Mike and I never jammed together. Like I'd be in my room practicing whatever I wanted to practice and Mike be, he'd be across the hall, you know, and his bass amp would be, you know, roaring over there and he'd be practicing whatever he wanted to practice. And we never put our amps in the same room. Like the first time I think we put our amps in the same room was at a rehearsal, like it was in a garage when we were getting ready to start learning 55 tunes, I think, to go on the road with you, Peak. That's right. Yeah, I didn't, why, I didn't play with um, these guys for a long why, time either. How, how did you end up in a, in a house with somebody who's playing bass and you guys didn't, did you guys listen to music together? I mean, it's just, how did you guys not put that together? Like, hey, we should play together. I have no did idea. you guys not get along? I have yeah. no idea. There, there's two years difference between those guys too. So, and, and at that age, I would, I'm just guessing here, Chad, because I, I mean, I had a brother that was a year older than me, but there's enough separation there that it's like, I didn't hang around my brother. Didn't matter what we did necessarily. In two years, there might yeah, be a bit more I of a gap. Yeah, I think that was probably more of it too. Like it. Mike had his friends, and I had my friends, and and we didn't commingle a ton until we were like, until I got out of high school. Like the second I got out of high school, um, we were all on the road together. Like the day that I was out of high school, we were we went and got a booking agent. We. Convinced you to drop out of college, Peak. <laughs> yeah, it was going that way anyway. I think. Where idiot? Where, it wasn't satisfying um, me, you know, intellectually enough. So I had to dumb it down. What were you? What Wait, were you majoring I, in? Volleyball. <laughs> philosophy, I think. I was going to get that real good where, gig teaching. Where philosophy were you somewhere. going to school? What's that? Where were you going to school? Uh, well, I did two years at um, at Red Deer Red Deer College, the renowned Red Deer College. In Alberta, um, basically, that meant I just I had no idea what the hell I wanted to do. I went there for, I did well for a couple of years and just literally just did general studies for both to see where I could apply it. If it, you know, if things were going to work out, and then by the second year, I'm like, yeah, no, and grades are fine, but I was like, I just wasn't into it. And you just, it's just weird. It's 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 a weird trajectory at that snapshot in time. All my friends. We're working on the oil rigs or working somehow in the welding industry, pipe fitter rigs. And just and they're they're making a living like that. They were just killing it. And uh, I'd finished college and I'm like, I still had no idea what the hell I wanted to do. And so, I mean, serendipity kind of kicked in when, you know, Chad was ready out of school, out of high school and was like, let's get out of here. And I'm like, Yeah, let's play some music. Like like that's everybody we all kind of gravitated that way, but that was the fun. I was sick of no fun. <laughs> and it was like, how did you fun. guys, how did, 
how did you guys know each other before college? I mean, Chad, for you to be like, hey, you should come with me. And Ryan, for you to be like, yeah, I just, I'm going to leave school and join a kid who just graduated high school. I imagine, Ryan, your, par- Hannah, your parents. Hannah were- is 2,900 people. Crazy. So in a town of 2,900 people, like the day I got my guitar, and I tell this story all the time, the day I got my guitar, and, and Ryan, you're, old, are you a year and a half older than I am? Yeah, about that. Yeah. And, and Scott, who wound up being our, the singer in the cover band, was two years older, maybe a little bit more than two years older than me. And the day I got my guitar, there's a knock on my door. Like, I had this guitar for a matter of hours. I had this knock on the door, and, and there's Ryan, and there's Scott. And they, they're like, hey, we heard you got a guitar. I'm like, yeah. Can we come in and check it out? I'm like, yeah, of course. But this is all Scott, no to by older. the way. <laughs> for you sure. can't say no to older kids because I was, I think I was 14. So you would have been 16. So I think you drove over to my house. Um, I would have had to skateboard over to yours. Um, and there they were, questions. So what can you play? And I'm like, I've had this guitar for 24 hours. And I think I could play. I'm like, well, I can, I can rock some power chords. They're like, okay. And I can kind of play a little bit of Crazy Train, I think, because uh, I'd learned some, some guy had taught me on his guitar, and that's what got me into wanting to play the guitar. And uh, they're like, can you solo? <laughs> like, can I solo? I mean, I can bend no. the strings. <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. And uh, they're like, can you finger tap? <laughs> no. No, I cannot. They're like, Okay. All right, cool guitar man. And then they just fuck it up, walked out. Yeah, left. we're like the local music bullies. We just want to come bully anybody we get a chance Pretty to. Pretty much. What do you got? Pretty much. What do you got? Show me what you got. What do you got, what do you got over nah, there? Nah, nah, good What's going enough. on over there? We'll call you, we'll call you yeah. after the majors in a, in a year. See you in a couple of years. <laughs> hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you said, when you said cover band, I mean, I think, uh, you know, I'm from the Midwest, which is not Alberta, but it is a place where the cool, the bands that would write their own stuff were not like headlining uh, um, uh, Battle of the Bands in my high school. Like you had to do covers. Like everyone loved the cover bands. What kind of music was your cover band? That's a lot of Canadiana. Yeah, that's it too. You're right, though. We we did all do we did covers like. Like the, the original thing wasn't a real thing. Like if you were in the city, I think there was an availability to play gigs, and it was in your brain that oh, we can do originals. We we should do originals. We're in the country. We're two hours from the nearest city. We're like, it's got to be covers. Yeah, and we did a lot of yeah, Canadian stuff. Lots of Tragically Hip. We did a whole set of Tragically Hip, like ten songs of that, of course. Uh, yeah, and uh, I don't know, like what else? Like we had we had like college bands, like The Odds. Uh, from Canada, I don't know if anybody's gonna know the. We we were like super familiar with the, the odds uh, from out here. Actually, they had they were po- very popular. The Doughboys. Um, Everybody that was kind of like on the college circuit in Canada 
was who we thought was just the coolest because we wanted to be on the college circuit. We just thought, remember that, Pete? Oh, yeah. We were just like, oh, if we can make it to the college circuit. We got it made, We, we got it made. Yeah. The Watchmen. We played a lot of the Watchmen. That's right, too. Yeah. Yeah, they, yeah there were uh, a lot of popular bands in the college circuit that, that we were trying to emulate. But like I said, if, if you wanted to get some experience, you had to play cover tunes to you know, play the bars. When were you actually writing songs? When was the first time you were like, you know, I'm... I'm sick of learning this uh, odds song or tragically hip record. I'm gonna start something by myself. Chad, did you? Write Chad, that you wrote one by yourself, before... right? Sorry, what was that? Chad wrote. You wrote by yourself. You know, without anybody in the room first, right? Yeah. When did you write that first one? That was before we went on the road, wasn't it? And then we went and did stuff. You did one. Yeah, you at least that very had one. first. That very first tune yeah. I wrote when I was 16, but I didn't write anything else. I just kind of had that little thing kicking around for. I don't know, what was um, it? He just had that That's little a, thing kicking around, just whatever. <laughs> thing. Uh, it's actually a really good song. It's We're a really good pro- song. And we'll probably have to as, record it one of these days. As it's a matter of fact, Guardian like Angel. that's that's the one kind of touchstone for me when I heard him play it. I think you guys played it at, or you played it at uh, the high school or something. I think we did it on stage there. Maybe that was after Maybe. the fact. I thought we did. I'd heard him play it, and that is funny. It's like the. You, like I, I was just, I was just into playing cover tunes. I don't, I didn't have the, um, the songwriter kind of mentality back then, really at all. Whereas he just had this outlet that just kind of went blind and dropped this out, and I could hear it, and I, I could kind of gravitate to certain songs. You could tell by the lyrics and how he put it together. Like, hey, this guy kind of knows what he's doing. This is his first try. I think he kind of <laughs> knows what he's doing. Like, no, seriously, you can kind of tell. And I then just then nothing after the fact, which actually led me to that that's why i was like you know he's like i got a few songs i want to record in in vancouver when we finally decided to put together our ep i was like yeah i i think i'm i think this is this is worth it for sure for studio experience but it, I, I have a feeling this guy he's he's got a beat on what he's doing is kind of my my vibe so i mean this is way before roadrunner days right i mean this yeah. is like this is way before that so when um when you say your EP, you guys obviously had toured, done a bunch of these covers. Chad's got this one song. He's like, "Okay, I got some ideas," and he's playing you these records. And you know, you guys are only comparing to the songs you're covering. I would assume it's not like you guys were doing random sessions or were used to other bands like that. You're, you know, like you were saying earlier, your peers. You weren't necessarily like analyzing their compositional skills. You were just sort of like no. this guy's song. These this guy's songs are pretty good. Like, how do you get into a studio in Vancouver? Whose studio was it? And was someone paying for it, or were you guys like, was it the touring money? How did you actually pay for that first recording? I borrowed some money. Um, and from from who? Uh, my stepdad. He, um, it's funny because I was ju- I was released from police custody. <laughs> And um, why were you in police like, custody? Uh, it doesn't matter. Yeah, <laughs> okay. statute of limitations gone. Yeah, I think that, I, I don't even care if the statute of limitations are running on that one. I I got off on that one, so I'm not. Just leave it alone. Yeah. It, but anyway, um, it had to do with stealing some crap. Anyway, so I just was like, once I got up, I was like, I need to do something with my life. Uh, this is just because I'm just heading straight down, you know, I'm heading straight for prison is where I'm going if I don't get out of this damn town. Um, 
And I called him up and I had a business plan. It was just all bullshit. And I said, hey, I've got these songs. And the guys, uh, and, and Mike, Mike was already in Vancouver playing in a metal band called the Black Dogs of Depression. It's a lot of... So emo. Sunshine over there in that one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, Mike would play in his underwear, which I thought was interesting. Um, but I, I called him up and I said, hey, I've got this idea, and I've already spoken to a studio in Vancouver, which I hadn't. And I said, um, if you lend me $4,000, we can go to Vancouver, record um, uh, uh, an EP, press a thousand copies, sell them each for 10 bucks to all of our friends. And in six months, I'll pay you back $5,000. And he said, okay, the money will be in your account tomorrow. And I was like, why don't I just do that instead of trying to steal shit? <laughs> and um, so... Talking people out of the money is way easier than actually taking it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I had had zero success with talking people out of their money up till that point, though. So I remember seeing you at, remember at the gas station peak? I rolled up, you were in that blue car, yep. and you cut all your hair off. Yep. And you were just full fucking Tom Cruise. And I was like, God damn, and I think you'd just broken up with Trina. And you were like, hey, are we still going to Vancouver? I'm like, yeah. He's like, let's go tomorrow. And I'm like, fucking right, let's do this. I said, I just bought 4,000 bucks. And you're like, fuck, I'm good, let's go. So we packed up and uh, headed out west. Where did you stay in Vancouver while you were recording? I slept on Mike's floor. And who was the, who produced the album? Um, you guys did, right? Or the engineer? Or it sort of was that kind of studio where you had the engineer yeah, it was do pretty it, much, right? It was pretty much just yeah. us, but there was a guy named Jeff Boyd who worked at the studio who I had contacted. Um, and uh, I think he got thing. us in there. Yeah. How much did it cost to record? Was it 1700 bucks, and we got two days? Something like that, yeah. And we recorded, se- we recorded and mixed seven songs, damn near live off the floor, in 48 hours. And then we had to go master it, and we mastered it with that guy named Cord Lord from The Rubber Room. Yeah. Um, oh, it was Cord Lord. That- I thought it was Al, but... No, Cord Lord. Yeah. I have no idea how he, how he acquired that nickname. But, uh, and then we went home, and then I had enough money left for us to press 1,000 CDs, but I went to Calgary, and I bought a pound of Magic Mushrooms, and I took them back to Hannah and tried to, to uh, there it make is. money. There it is. Yeah, but then I, I made a ton of money. And I spent all the profits. <laughs> so on more shrooms or on <laughs> out the window. Um, what was next? Yes. So you yeah. guys pressed the, those those albums. That's um, is that is that uh, is that Curb? What's what's which album are we, when when are we right now? This is this is a little demo called Hesher. Did we where, press where, them? We, we pressed them in '96, I think. We recorded it in the summer of '95, and then we didn't even have a band name. We didn't have a band name. We didn't have. We must have pressed some if we could get it to the radio station, or just had a couple of one-offs in around Christmas time, and they got it to the radio station. They got us a gig in Vancouver in the middle of January, and that's when we decided let's 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 do this. It was the start of January, and we played the Town Pump, and we opened up for a band called Rust. Or Rusty. Rust. Rust. Yeah, Rusty's That's different. Right. That's another Canadian band. Not from That's Alberta. Right. And did you guys, um, did you end up selling all 1,000? 
I don't think yeah, we. Sh- yeah, because we, we had to repress close. a few times. Yeah, I think we had yeah, damn close. Well, yeah, we we did a couple of pressings. You're right. I think we have some because left over. Back then, you could go to Canadian record stores like HMV and um, Sam the Record Man and A and B Sound and all those places, and and they would take your they would take your independent stuff on consignment. And so then, what happened uh, was we started realizing that if somebody sends all these CDs to radio stations across the country and then calls them and tries to get radio play, then all we have to do is go and tour there and, and, and take our CDs to the local uh, record stores and put our, our, our first little EP in there. And, and, we, and we just, I mean, we did that for... Oh, so that was... So we did that with Hesher... Then we did that with Curb, and then we got really successful with the with the state, and we got a song, and and but like I was I was like telemarketing at the time, so I had no problem picking up the phone and calling strangers. That was not tough for me at all, and I had a pretty good spiel, and um, I just wouldn't tell it was me. I just say I was someone from the Nickelback camp calling, and and had they had a chance to listen to our our song yet and, and if they wanted I would um, I would fax them that's how long ago this was I would fax them playlists from other radio stations that had already added the song and so what I would do is I would take whatever chart position we were in and I would just move us up the chart position and then I like literally just cut and fucking paste this onto another piece of paper and I would move our chart position and then I would fax all these things to all these radio stations and it helped us get ads and then we would go on tour and then we would fill all these stores with as much product as we possibly could and before we knew it, we'd sold 10,000 copies. We, were, we broke top 20 uh, by ourselves independently. We were 19 in Canada and still... Uh, we were just astonished at how little all of these people who work in record companies who are supposed to know what they're doing. If you remember that peak, you'd look down that mm-hmm. magazine. I can't remember which one it was. Chart. But all every single band had a label beside it. Label. They were signed to Universal. They were signed to A and M. They were signed to you know Virgin or whatever it was back in the day. And then beside us, it just said Nickelback slash no record company. And it was like, but it's not like they had seen us and passed. Like, no one was even calling. Like, we were just blown away. Like, we got top 20 on our own. And then when we finally got some attention, it was from the U.S. And then all the, the Canadian vultures started swooping in. And we were like, not really interested. Like, you guys, you guys weren't even paying attention. You, you had no idea who we were or what was going on. And now that America's interest, interested in us, now you're interested. And so we just went straight to America and signed a deal with uh, Roadrunner. What's weird is like for Misfits, uh, this is why the music industry is so good, is that you can tell people whatever you want. You can actually walk in and be like, I'm a, I'm a bassist. And people are like, Okay. Okay. You yeah. all you have to do is own a guitar, and literally, <laughs> people in your own town who knew you bought the guitar the day before were like, "Can you solo?" Like, no. All, like <laughs> no. the the fact. I mean, you, yes, I can. So, totally. I mean, you can say whatever you want. I did the same thing. I used to call record labels when there, there used to be this thing called Yellow Pages of Rock, and it would have everybody's 
information from all the record labels. And I knew somebody who worked in a label who gave me the 1997 one, and this was 1998. So his he had an updated one, but so he's like, you can have the old one. And I was calling heads of record labels, not even caring because I didn't. What are they going to do? And I used to say, "Fuck yourself." I used to say, "Yeah." I said, "I'm Mike." I said, "I'm Mike Thompson," who was my roommate at the time. I said, "I'm Mike Thompson. I I I work with this kid Ross. You got to hear him." And and I used to and every once in a while, some assistant would be like, "Well, yeah. I mean, sure. Come by the. You have my number. I mean, come come by." And I would go to these offices, and I was terribly nervous because I was like, I just lied my way into this thing with like a homemade press. You know, now, did CD you go there thing. as Mike or as Ross? I would go as Ross. I would never tell them Mike was. I mean, Mike and I are still friends now, but like that guy doesn't have anything to do with the music industry. I just was. He was literally standing next to me, and I just. Well, did they? Did they? Did they, did they say that? That's what he's. Geez, yeah, Ross, this you sound is, a lot uh, like Mike. You sound a lot like Mike on this. The is phone. Mike, <laughs> dude? I'm telling you, man. Like you can say whatever you want in the music business, and eventually people are like, okay. I mean, one of the weird things about streaming is like it's really easy to track how. Uh, you know your chart position. It's a little sure. harder now than when you could fax and literally cut and paste and move your chart position. But I, it worked obviously with Roadrunner, which is a a, a good size label. And in 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 late nineties, like that's as you know, that was a massively hot label. Um, when you were you meeting with a lot of labels, because that's not it's not Universal, it's not no. Electra, it's. Uh, a smaller but a hot label. Like, why did you choose Roadrunner? Well, we went. RCA was interested, and RCA said, um, "We want to sign you, uh, but we're not interested in this record. Um, we think that you guys are getting better and better and better because we've heard your previous. We, we've gone back now and listened to your previous stuff." But we, we're not interested in this record. But we think that what you guys have coming is probably going to be great. Which turned into How You Remind Me and Silver Side Up. But we were really bummed out at the, because we'd spent so much money. We were already like, I think the cumulative debt was probably north of 40K uh, for all the stuff. And, and we really needed to pay people back. Um, and we, we thought there was something good, like in hindsight, um, we probably should have just, <laughs> I mean, no. Obviously, things all worked out the way they worked out, and everything worked, you know, great. But if 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 I didn't know that now, and I and I was standing behind the younger me, I'd be like, "Take the deal, you fucking idiot! Take the deal." Really? See, why? You, why? You, why was that a better deal? In retrospect, even why was that a better oh, deal? Because we went out and we worked a record that didn't even have. A, a solid single on it, and we toured it for 14 months. And obviously, there wasn't a hit on that record because if there was a hit on that record, it would have, you know, yeah. it would have come to fruition um, at radio and sales and what have you. And it, it, it obviously it didn't. And you know, if you listen to the record, it's an indie record made by a bunch of guys that are just kind of figuring out what they're doing. Well, to be fair, I mean, though, was, Leader of Men went top ten. It went to number six in uh, in the states and uh, actually made some noise. I I think it was good. I mean, I think it was. A good opportunity for us. Like I know what he's saying, but um, we didn't come out of the gates boom and just ha- like people are saying, "Well, look at this," you know, this overnight success. It was not an overnight success, and this was part of it it's because we went out and did the work. I, 
90, you're talking about that yellow pages of music in 98 that you were using? I would have yeah. killed to get my hands yeah. on that. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> so we, so these guys, Chad was doing, you know, radio and stuff and I'm out soliciting the label and I've got all these packages. I'm sending it to all the information that our lawyer had, our music lawyer had it. He was busy in a lawsuit going to court every day in those ridiculous gowns he wears. And, um, and uh, he's like, I don't have time for it. Here, here, here. He just gives me a list. And so I just sent it out to everybody. And the reason I'm going back is because it's like, it, I found it interesting because nobody was really interested in the band. There was a guy from a publishing, publishing company named Jan Seedman who sent the album to somebody from Roadrunner who heard it and said, oh, let's have a meeting. And then RCA, yes, did, did, they wanted a meeting as well. Roadrunner flew us out. Like I said, it was basically the only guys that were even interested in us. And RCA obviously was like just hovering, tertiarily hovering around us. They didn't really want to commit. So Roadrunner paid for our tickets, which we didn't tell them at the time that we flew out to see Roadrunner. And then we ran around town going, we snuck a we little meeting. We got a deal. Anybody else? <laughs> so we go, we go like to RCA. Like everybody else does. It's- yeah. So, I mean, that's what you do. You're doing the best we can. So... We go to RCA and it's like it's like the building that Elvis built. It's like this huge chrome building, right? That's where we had the meeting and Chad's right. The guy said, we'll do a development deal. I don't think you guys are ready. All right, great. We leave there, a little dejected, but uh, it just kind of felt weird. Go to Roadrunner. It's one floor on a, in a modest building and everybody's jammed in to little cubicles everywhere and they're all like metalheads. And we're, so we're like, when they brought what us are into we the doing boardroom, here? Do you remember this? They brought us into the boardroom <laughs> And they didn't even have, yeah. like, there was like four chairs from here and three chairs from over there. Yeah. Like, they didn't even have all the same chairs in the boardroom. We're kind of looking at that. And so there was like <laughs> holes and like shit. And we were just kind of like, this is gritty. Yeah. But, yeah. They, but they were just so passionate. They're like, if you sign with us, we will kill and or die for you um, to make sure that we do everything to push your career as far as we possibly can. And I believed and then, him. Like, yeah, seriously. and we all believed him because there was the, like, the passion was there. And remember the radio guy at the time, his name was Joe something, and he got, he, he, he got a song called Anal Cunt played on... Uh, oh, on by uh, the band, you mean? Or was it by the band? At the Anal band, Cunt? that's the band's name. Yeah, and they, they were all, they, they just thought that this guy was a god because they said if this guy can get Anal <laughs> Cunt played on the radio... He can get anybody. I think they're pronounced AC. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So once we signed there, I don't even think that he worked any of our stuff at all because immediately what happened was uh, the head of our label, Case Wessels, said, okay, if we're going to spend as much money as I think we're going to spend breaking this band, we're going to need uh, like a real radio department. So he headhunted RCA's entire radio Hmm. department. So... uh, Dave Lonco? Dave... Dave Lonco, the head of the department who broke tons of bands from like Dave Matthews to Eve Six to everybody else at that time, like he'd like, and also and used, to manage, camp, right? used to manage, used to manage John Cougar Mellencamp. Yeah. And like, uh, so he brought his whole team with him. And so they became all of our regional people. And once that was happening, we were like, okay, like they're, they're revamping the entire label around us. So it felt like we were going to get a real solid push. Now, also in hindsight, had we signed with any of these other bands, after we sold the amount of records we sold on our first one, I think we would have got dropped. Um, yeah, but, yeah, sure. but 
Roadrunner didn't even think like that at all. They were just like, nope. We got off the road 14 months straight, and they said, you got five weeks to go in and make your next record, and then you're going... Like, we already had the, the, the whole next tour booked. But once Silver Side Up came out, and once How You Remind Me hit, suddenly all those tour dates disappeared, and then now it just turned into, like... I remember the first day we showed up to the, the Coliseum in Vancouver, and there was all these trucks and buses. And I was just like, what's all this? And who's that? And who's that? And it's like, well, that, that's your new security guy. He goes with you everywhere you go. Uh, the, that's your pyro crew. There's the sound guys. There's the lighting department over there. And, like, I couldn't believe that level, that jump, just going from one bus, and there was 12 of us on there, I think, like the band, roadies, um, front of house, tour manager, to all of a sudden, I'm like... Where are we going? They're like, the whole world, dude. You just sold out an entire arena tour with How You Remind Me. And I was just like, were, this were, is going to be awesome. Were you familiar with Roadrunner? Like, like uh, obviously, did you solicit a Roadrunner? Oh, me? Yeah, or Mike. Oh, Did Mike solicit a Roadrunner? Your roommate? Your alter ego? Oh, Mike Thompson. I thought you were talking about... <laughs> Sorry, okay. I tried uh, to get him know, out of joke I, there. No, no, no I got it. No, no, it's fine. No, I, it's weird because Roadrunner is... Um, I was... My fraternity... I was in a fraternity with the guys from Eve 6. So this is the same sort of era that you're talking about. Sure. Oh, wow. And there it's you like... Go. You know, and it's it, it was a... Um, it was a time where bands were actually bands. And, and like, you you could have a song break like inside out you could yeah. have some of those songs that that just somehow break and and it, or at least that was the appearance i mean granted that they, without getting into eve 6 like there's there's no question that 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 era was a time where um major labels were looking for bands which you know 10 years after that no bands were getting signed and none of them could break you know yeah yeah um you know, one of my questions was two things. One was a comment when you when you said like you would have done it differently potentially. Man, if you can get a label, small, big, or whatever that are that will literally say like we will die for you and they will hire radio departments, that's the label you should be with. Period. I don't care oh, if they're abs- RCA absolutely. or if that like. There's no way in retrospect that there's that RCA and I. Like RC is a great label. They would not have done. They would not no. have stuck. Like you said, stuck through that first album, no matter how much, especially in a development deal. You you guys made all the right choices by following people who are passionate and not by people who have access. That, so absolutely. like that, they made that's, access. That's, that's exactly what I was kind of getting at. Is that if you people were fans of Roadrunner, more sometimes more yeah, than just the label the bands, had a fan right? yeah the label the label right. literally had a fan the group. label had a fan base so yeah. that was what was new for us cuz i remember growing up with like metal blade records and uh bonsai records you know some old metal blade you know, like records. i remember oh if it was if it was metal blade or bonsai it's it's got to be good for me like listening to metal I'm like it's got to be good i would buy an album just for the label so roadrunner was like that and to what chad was saying like you know we didn't shoot the lights out with um with the state uh, when we got released and when we signed that deal with them and they took that as their first album option. But um, we, yeah, we've been cut loose by a, la- by a major immediately. But in the eyes of a metal label, having metal bands that slug it out every day on the road, barely sell albums because they don't get any radio play, 
they're like, you know, hey, it's pretty good, guys. Yeah, that's good. Set. Yeah, we'll try this again. Like, they're willing to put it in. Yes, they spent more money on us as a radio campaign on top of the tour support, but they were seeing something happening. And I just love the fact that they were like, A, we see the building happening, but B was like, guys, we need all that money back. You know, the money we spent on you guys, we actually need it back. So you guys got to go back to work. That was kind of the feeling. But it was a really weird, it was, it was a weird place to be because there was just some weirdness going on with metal bands. And, you know, we're a rock band. You know how metal bands typically say bands of, of lesser heaviness than them. It's like there's, there's that vibe, right? But, um, but it was the absolute best place for us to be because it was that vibe when you went into the people working there. The actual, not the bands, but the people working there, they were like, they would kill for you. And they, they did. They absolutely just went above and beyond. 2001 is a weird year because it's, you know, it starts to become, you know, that second and third album of like Britney and Backstreet and, and that kind of thing. Like you end up with like the pop scene is really strong. You have Kelly Clarkson breaking out. And then you also have like these like, you know, Lincoln Parks and uh, and and Limp Bizkit's also sort of at the same time, and, and it's it's kind of this no man's land of like, I'm not sure how you would describe the year 2001 musically, and then I don't know. <laughs> I I guess Eclectic. that's the thing is like it, in in the early 1990s you have all these different bands, but there was like a very is very clearly like grunge in in is very easily. Um, genreized. I don't know what that. Sure. Whatever. But what when you guys come out with how you remind me? Are you a are you a rock band? Like in your like when you're on a label of with a lot of heavy metal people. What you guys? I, I've listened to the album. There are harder songs than that on there. But how did you? How would you have described your own music at the time? Rock music. There's, for yeah, me, there's no we're, question. We're yeah, we're rock band. I mean, there's, go- li- there's lighter bands that call themselves rock bands. I, I think, and I know, like you say, you listen to the rest of the album, you can hear the rock. But it's like that's when you get judged by one song. Like if you listen to the beginning of, or if you listen to like you know one of Metallica's lighter <laughs> songs or instrumentals, what kind of band is this? Well, you can't quite do that. It was Sugar Although, Ray Fly was like like the you know that's their biggest song on that album, and the rest of the album is not that. You know, it's like there's, exactly. there's you know maybe there's a reason why singles are singles. That song though becomes so big, and like Chad, what you were saying, like you show up to an arena and you see buses you're seeing all that stuff before any of the money shows up you're seeing all like you're seeing like the it's like there's this lead time where you get you already know the tour you're about to go on you're hearing your song fucking everywhere the song's skyrocketing it stays up at the top of the charts you're selling all these albums but it's not like the money's showing up yet it takes 18 months you know you still have to recoup things you have to do all this stuff what's it like going from well being no in not, a, not 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 once you play live you get that money at the end of the night <laughs> okay that's fair well, the, well, i mean arenas it's, don't it's settle in 18 difference. months arenas settle at the end of the night that's cool <laughs> I, I mean that's a huge difference for you guys though you guys had gone from that grind of like you know since you guys were since you just picked up, bought your guitar to basically that moment 
you know, there's a huge difference between what you're talking about, where you go from, you know, the state to silver side up. That's a huge, 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 huge difference. That's like that's I'm an aspiring rock star to being a rock star. Everything changes. How did you guys mentally cope with that? Did you mentally cope with it? Oh, it was just smiles. Like yeah. it was just we were just happy. Like I was just partying every night after every single show. But like it's not like it's not like we went from our bedrooms to arenas. We went from bedrooms to clubs, like everybody does. And then we went from clubs to larger venues. And then we went from larger venues to like theaters. You know, and then we like so we were already we could independently in Canada, before we signed a record deal, we could easily pay for a, a tour bus, you know, and go from gig to gig to gig to gig. And, and like, so yes. we, we definitely weren't going to sign a record deal in the US and then jump back in a van. So we weren't doing that. So we had definitely, like, we'd paid our dues. We yeah, had it, climbed the ladder. Um, and uh, so it wasn't, it wasn't that much of a, a culture shock, but um, it was weird. The fame thing was weird. Like, suddenly, every restaurant you go, anywhere in the world, people are pointing, going, holy shit, that's the guy from... And, and, and then, like, every club you go to, and just everywhere, everywhere you go, every plane you sit on, it's just like, all of a sudden, because your face is just everywhere. It's just everywhere. You know, like, every... And, and that's back when, you know, video stations played videos. You know, and then you go to Australia, you go to the UK, you go to Germany, and people are just like... Hey, that's the dude from, you know, and and so that that was weird, um, having to go from kind of being I can't even say famous. I was gonna say famous and like mildly famous in our own town, but not even not even that really. Being 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 known in your own hometown, or, or even maybe just a couple cities in in Canada to like globally recognizable. Is uh, ah, it's weird. It is. It is. It's. It gets. It's a little hard on the head. Yeah, we 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 did. Uh, like thinking back, we did a lot of. I mean, I don't know how many. It was only. I guess it was five years from release of us when we started playing to when How You Remind Me hit, and then the tour came probably about five six months after that. Uh, we played everywhere in Canada, and there's a lot of driving, and there's a lot of. There's, a, there's learning curves everywhere from playing to like places that know you to places that don't know you to places that don't want you, which is a whole other thing. Which yeah, we, we have we've had some of those, which is like all right, like please yeah, but th- but we love those stories, like oh for sure. But the, and that's part of it. I I think you're talking about like it wasn't quite the culture shock in that sense. Chad's right, I think, with the familiarity and the the, the fame part that comes with it is probably the hardest thing too. To manage, however you can manage it. But as far as like playing, we couldn't wait to get out of clubs. We were playing clubs forever. We were playing bigger clubs in Canada. I then went down in the states and just shrunk back to smaller clubs. Open for th- three doors down for for a while when their song was just starting to take off. So we started back down the bottom there, you know, opening it for a four hundred seat club. Until like by the end of that tour, they were playing you know some pretty solid five to eight thousand seat venues. And we were opening at that point. And then How You Remind Me popped off and we were like, you know, we're ready for this. Um, especially in the sense where we just kind of, we were like, let's, let's bring the show. Let's keep investing in the show. 
Like we we've got we've cut our teeth playing live. We've got this. I feel like it. Let's bring some fun stuff. Let's bring some stuff that's going to make this show really great. And so you kind of put your nose to the grindstone. You just do it. And how you remind me comes out, and it you know it, it's doing what it's doing. But we're still just preparing for this tour, getting ready to do what we do. That was that was the work part of it, the play part of it. Yeah, Chad liked to party after the gigs, and, and you know soak up that that part of the of the of just the experience. Me. Just me, I was just the only Chad. one. Chad was the only guy that did that. He yeah. partied for everybody. Um, what a crock of shit. Yeah, well, it's what it is. But it's weird. It's weird when you're, um, you know, the. No offense, Ryan, but the rest of the band in any in any I'm rock band is already taking offense to whatever you're about to say. Go ahead, <laughs> as you should. As you should. Whenever you say like, no offense, you're full of shit. And you're offended. about to offend somebody. Go on. There's 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 some anonymity attached to not being the lead singer, where that person doesn't have to, you know, and not to mention that like if you're not the lead singer, you can drink all you want and you don't have to worry about your voice because like that's not true. What are no, you talking about? Well, sing compared every song. to, <laughs> well, you sing back. I guess you you Will sing, I sing but what? It, backups, backups. I'm still singing. <laughs> that's true. Did you ever worry about losing your voice? Constantly, I have the same terrifying dreams that Chad has about going up on stage and yeah. something's not working, or you try to sing something, you forget the words, or it's like, oh yeah. But that's the thing. From my part of it, I do low low harmonies, high harmonies. I dig around, Chad. Chad does obviously the heavy lifting when it comes to like singing every word of every song, but it's like we, that's my biggest fear, losing my voice on the road constantly. Do Doesn't think, go away. Do you think trying to pay roadies 400 euros to swallow golf ball sized lumps of wasabi? That's good and for your vocal get, cords. And after here. getting no takers doing it yourself is good for your vocal cords? Now, that was a course <laughs> I learned from Mr. Miyagi, I believe. Here's something about that. It's What's amazing. I don't know. What it, wh- did you, you guys, guys are a bunch of pussies. Fuck, I'll do it for free. Gulp. Oh, dude, I don't know if you should have done that. <laughs> Lots of tears. Those are the days, Lots man. of tears. Those are the days. When, you know, you guys, obviously, you, you, know, you end up being worldwide known and you're playing arenas everywhere. You guys managed to repeat the success and most bands don't. Did you feel pressure along the way to repeat the success, or was it sort of keeping your head down, like, oh yeah, we're just writing a second album? I mean, why? Why were you guys able to repeat the success when it seems like every other band uh, struggles with that? Uh, <clears throat> I think the the pressure we felt was all internal. And and also self applied, because um, we were also very aware of the statement that you just made, um, that the world's got more one hit wonders than it does, you know, uh, lifetime sort of achievers. Um, we didn't, we didn't, we'd much rather be the latter. Um, so. I think that we just put a lot of effort in, <laughs> truly. Um, have you met musicians? We're all incredibly lazy. Then the reason we become musicians in the first place, typically, is so we don't have to go get a nine-to-five job. Now, if you're just going to be honest, be honest. It's like, yeah, it's true. Now, you take a group of four of them who are typically incredibly lazy and try to get like, 
I've produced lots of other bands, and I've sat in the room with them watching this happen. You, you like, you get ten minutes of creativity, and then everybody just wanders off, and it's like, oh, we're good for the day. And I'm like, what are you guys doing? Like, what? Like, we have another solid fourteen hours of work we need to do today. You know, and they're just like, no, let's go play frisbee. And so that that doesn't surprise me that most bands, you know, they they don't achieve the, uh, you know, the continued success because just get in the room with them and and like for the most part it's like herding cats. Yeah. Um. And and the people that that uh, sustain and have longevity, um, those are the ones that put in the really hard work and the and the, the long hours. Um. And uh, it it pays off. Well, and that and I mean, I want I want to say good songs but i know that that's subjective uh but that's kind of it like songs that connect i guess and that's kind of what we did is that you know we went back in the studio going yeah the pressure's on ourselves to do something better it, it always is it just you want to you want to just make better uh songs anyway the label really wants you to up re-up your last project of course but we were like you know it wasn't silver side up wasn't our first album so it's right. not like they're like, hey, your first one's always the easiest to get. It's the next one you got to follow up that's tougher. Like they say that about every that That is album. a saying too. Like a lot of people say, if you get success with your first record, a lot of people say, well, you've had your entire life to write that first one. Now you've got two years to come up with the second one. Yeah. Um, and, and that's not even too, like, you, it's, like that's including the tour. So you do, a, you know, the massive tour and you better put out another record maybe a year and a half even. Um, but uh, yeah, like to what Ryan was saying, that was our third attempt in the studio. Right. Um, but then they also said, okay, guys, well, the next record probably isn't going to do that well, and they're trying to prepare us for failure, so we're probably going to slide down. And, <laughs> and it actually did. You know, uh, the singles off the, set, the next record were Someday and Figured You Out. And the record probably sold three, it probably went three times platinum in the U.S., um, I'm not sure what it's done to date, but um, they're like, well, there you go. It didn't sell as much as the last failure. one, so it's, it's a failure. And they were just like, so the next one's going to... And then I, was, I just wasn't buying, I wasn't buying that. And then we went in and we did All the Right Reasons, which is, I think, 22, 22 million uh, worldwide, something like that. So I, I just wasn't willing to buy into that whole, okay, so this is the trajectory we're on, so we definitely have to just prepare for, you know... We're heading back to clubs, boys. <laughs> I'm like, no, 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 we're not. Let's put in some work here. It's a good lesson, though. You know, I'm always more interested in what happens besides the successes because it's, you know, like every interview you have, people are going to ask about all the, the hits. And what's way more interesting is the ability on the after the second album when your own label's like, you know, like that wasn't as big as your last one. The next one, you know, you should go back in, but like, yep. It's gonna. It, this is the trajectory, and you're going. You're going downhill. So just prepare for that. Like that is that is usually the trajectory, and and, and so to to have an album that's the biggest of the albums being the after what should have been the biggest album is is very very unusual. Um, what, did it come as a shock to you? Even though you had your own sort of probably ego driving it. Just, I mean, there's no way you thought you were going to top How You Remind Me. And then you have, you know, three like songs on the next album that are all just massive. You know, were, did that surprise you at all? 
or were you sort of like, no, this fine, this is this is what I, this is my, these were my expectations. This is our opus, essentially. <laughs> um, no, I I know what you're saying. I my perspective on that album is that we put we put a lot of time in that album, and it was a lot. There was a lot of stuff going on that album. Well, we were in the we were in the I studio feel like for it's seven the months of Nickelback in a sense. What's that? Wasn't it seven months to make that record? Like yeah, we, it was a lo- we it was just, a long time of pushing and pulling and twisting and and just like really analyzing certain songs of, of how it was coming out, and then others. You know, some songs just came together like so fast. Like we had we had um, let me tell the story, but we had on the on the board we had bebop boop bop booted up. We had that song <laughs> up for the whole time. Animals, <laughs> yeah. And that's we, we renamed it Animals. It was really long, so we, we just called it Animals. Uh, but that was just the riff we had. And then we were like at the very end of recording, nearing the very end of recording, and going, "Oh God, we need we need this last song." And so Chad took that one, took the music down into um, the car and just wrote out the lyrics in a little over an hour. Came back in, sang them, boom, Animals, boom, done. So some songs like Saving Me was like three to four weeks. Of like really figuring out Oof. what the hell's working with that, what's not working, that was, changing this. That was, that that was, was worth it. Birth. It was worth it, but it was long because um, sometimes they just don't come right away. But you also don't want to give up on stuff that you like. That's what that's part of what I've I've enjoyed over the years is that in in general, Chad and I are usually have pretty good. Like this is going to work. This doesn't. This part doesn't work, but this does work. And you, so you kind of you got to be honest about these parts. And uh, and uh, a lot of times with when it was with Chad when we were coming up with stuff, something didn't work. I remember telling him and saving me. I said this pre-course part just it just doesn't feel right. It just doesn't. And he was kind of wow because I just I thought it was okay. And but then he was just kind of. And then next morning he was kind of mad. Was that a good impression of you? I thought it was pretty close. Um, I, 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 I'm a 70 year old character from Mary Poppins. I think. Anyway, anyway, next morning he comes. Well, I got this in. He plays. Show me what it's like. And I'm just like, that's good. Like that's way better than what was there. And so I don't know. You gotta, you gotta dig. Did, you gotta dig, and you gotta get some emotional things going. Maybe sometimes I don't know. To get it totally, Chet, Chet. Obviously, you write. You know, I think it's interesting that it it almost not every song, but most songs say you know lyrics written by Chad and uh, you know music composed by Nickelback and sometimes the producer or whatever. Is there a reason why you don't co-write lyrics? I do co-write. Lyrics. We do. At, at the beginning, yeah. Chad, it was, Chad wrote like that's all his brainchild. And as we went further, I, I think sorry, not step in, Chad. Why, but I, I, why didn't you? Me, why didn't you? Why didn't you start earlier? And Ryan, why didn't you start? Did you ever bring in songs that you wrote by yourself and say like, "Hey, this is a Nickelback song"? No, I, I early on, I was never, I was never a confident songwriter at all. I, like I said before, I was like, it wasn't kind of my calling. I think I've learned to be able to to do it. And uh, and to contribute where I can, and 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 I've I've written music since then that I've done, but uh, I w- I felt because he was such a, Chad was such a juggernaut in what he wanted to to write and, and champion at this in the, in the in the sessions that it's like I think I can slash I, dickhead. <laughs> <laughs> that I never said that, 
Um, no, but it's like sometimes when you're a creative force, sometimes it's just, you just kind of got to get it out and get going, and it's and it can steamroll some other people with some other ideas that might not be as yeah a, no, as that, loud in the me- room about it. And I was like that. I, I was just I was a more of a timid person going, oh no, it's a stupid idea. I don't like the typical songwriter thing of somebody's like, ah, it's it's not good, and I, I don't want to tell anybody this until you overcome that. The chat had that in spades. He was just like. Which is that's what the prolific songwriter does. That's what you do. You just like, blah, and it comes out. Whereas I just had to pick a little bit here and there, and where I really felt I could chime in, I would. That really came out in in um, all the right reasons. I mean, bits and pieces before that, but that I didn't really feel comfortable till about then. And uh, and we had the time to really peel the onion on on those ones for for sure. I was I, I just think that I had like really. Um naive and um, sort of inexperienced um, songwriter syndrome where I'm, I'm like, I know where the song needs to go. I just know exactly where this needs to go. So if everyone just follows, follows along with my idea, um, this will come to fruition and it's going to be great. But it, it took me a long time, and it's and I had to really start co-writing with other people. And as soon as I did that, then I started realizing, you know, not to be precious with ideas um, just because you came up with it. The better idea should always go in the song. Fighting for something, saying, "Well, no, 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 this part," but I, yeah, but no, but I, I want to, and going around and around for forty-five minutes just because you came up with the part is idiotic. Better is always better, and the better part should win, especially when you're trying to compose something to make it the best it can possibly be. Um, so once I let go of that, um, it was much easier. And then the guys and I would sit around, and it became uh, contributions started flowing from all different directions instead of me sort of directing it. It would be because I, 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 it got to the point where when we were. Let's say with Rockstar, for instance, um, we're all sitting around the room just coming up with really stupid shit that would make you laugh. You know, like I want two stripper poles in my tour bus and just kind of anything like that, that that if you could get everybody in the room fucking grinning, um, it's like that, that one should go in there. All we had to do is just, you know, set it up and say, you know, I'm through a standing in line to clubs I'll never get in. It's like the bottom of the ninth, but I'm never going to win. This life hasn't turned out quite the way I want it to be. It's like, okay, well, then what would you like? I want this, 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 this. And then all you have to do is start naming all kinds of ridiculous shit that you think that every rock star has or wants or needs or whatever. And um, th- that that writing session was great because we just sat around for hours and hours and hours and just brainstorming all just stupidity. Um and we picked, you know, the dumbest ones, made it in because the dumbest ones were the ones that would make you kind of chuckle. Um, yeah, it and, sounds like a, it sounds like a song that friends wrote with each other. Yep. Yeah, do you know what I mean? And it sounds it sounds like a like people who are actually having a, a fun day, and that it doesn't sound like some somebody who's alone struggling to write a song in their room isn't writing those lyrics. No. That they or they're yeah, exact- they're fucking crazy, you know. It's like it's, it's, it's way more fun to have that with friends. Totally. Yeah. How did you guys, you know, um, you know, the next album? Uh, you guys are now rock stars. You guys are uber famous. You guys have won a bunch of awards. 
you're continuing to do more albums. The next album goes platinum. It doesn't have the same uh, the same number of hits, but it still has some hits attached to it. Um, how did you guys never take a break? <laughs> like what triggers? What triggers? Like uh, we need to breathe. Like don't you guys have any? When did you guys start having personal lives? Because it's kind of around this era, right? Um, when you're. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Manager realizes that when you stay home, 20% of your downtime doesn't make him any money. <laughs> so if he's like, guys, we've got this festival lined up for you. So we got, you're going to have to get over to Europe and do this. Then we got to get, we got to hit Japan. And then we, we got to keep this momentum rolling. And then we got to get to, I mean, and, and in a way, well, not in a way. I mean, he was right um, because the second you take your foot off the gas pedal, um, it's very noticeable, and that ripple effect carries for a long time. So, I mean, if you just stay, but you especially know. that early in that in, that early in the career, like the career that's perceived after how you remind me, we've had a career before that, but nobody could give a shit. Other than sorry, other than Canadians, we've got lots of great fans in that in that sense, but. Uh, yeah, that that's that's when they that's when they notice if you take your foot off the gas, it's like it, you can slip pretty easy. And I yeah, I, I had I had a, I had my my son in two thousand three. So um, right after we did the long road, and then I'm juggling that, and then recording um, all the right reasons. Uh, I had my daughter in the middle of it, so I recorded a lot from home back then. And uh, well, I didn't have it. My wife did. She did all the work. So, um, but it was. Uh, I mean, and then Chad was just like, Chad and Joey were just like juggernauts out there, just like, and I'm trying to do this and back and forth, and it was like it was, it was pretty crazy at that time. But we all felt the same way. Like you, you do. You got to kind of keep going and paying attention to everything. At that point, even if it's you know, if you're taking seven months off, you're not really taking it off if you're recording and really focusing on something that you want to make decent. Uh, yeah, that wasn't time off, man. Those were long days. Holy shit! Yeah, it just continues to go on. I mean, you guys, it looks, it looks like you guys never had an opportunity to breathe. Um, in in an era where everyone talks about mental health and physical health and whatnot, um, I can't imagine how how you guys could have gone through this process. Uh, unscathed, like my <laughs> my my friend my friends who've gone through this kind of 
this kind of career, most of them who had those down periods and saw other friends like, wow, you got out. Or man, you're like, it's like this. It's like two war heroes that see each other. It's like, man, I, you know, how are you? You know, <laughs> like you guys, you guys were in, in the trenches for so long. How were you dealing with the, you know, 10 years ago, how were you dealing with the mental strain of this? Or were you guys just kids who de- never had to deal with it? Uh, I think if, if any of us had been a solo artist, it would be so much more difficult. I, I think that if you're surrounded by a bunch of people that just kiss your ass all the time and they're just constantly giving you yes, 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 you're never going to get the truth. Um, and you're never going to get a real true support system. Um, we had that as a band, you know, it was the four of us. And so uh, through ups and downs, whatever we'd be going through, um, we were always there. Um, and so I, it's, I think it's just easier that way. Like I look at some of these artists and I just think, God, I just think that man, they must be so lonely. And when things like when the world starts coming down around them, it must be fucking terrifying. But when you got brothers to lean on, it's it's uh, it's not as bad. Yeah, it really, it, it helps. And and uh, stre- I I think stress is relative to to whoever's going through it. Like some people are just you know they're born in conflict, and so they're just like that. That's fine. Like that that they can handle the day to day, whatever it is. And some people, it's not, you know, it's, you know, everybody deals with it differently. So when you're talking about mental health, it's like, there were for sure moments where it was going, you know, it, my, me personally is like, the, the Chad had the fame part of it because his face was on every video and every thing. Like you just, you just saw it everywhere when things were really firing. Um, but to what you were saying before, like I, that was kind of one of the things I think people talked about us is that, it was a, in a sense, besides Chad, it was a faceless band, which I mean, some, a lot of bands get that moniker, I guess, to a degree, or that tag. But uh, but I think we were a faceless band until uh, until Hero came along, and then all of a sudden, then there was a name attached to it too, and then it wasn't yeah. just like oh, the the guy from exactly exactly. I mean that that was like the the merging of that at that at that time was just stratospheric. But um, uh, but the the fame part was the thing that's hard to deal with. I think, I uh, for 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 me personally, it's like that. That's the mental health thing. It's like, are you okay? It's like, yeah, <laughs> because you know you you play music, you write music, you you enjoy it, and then when you play it for people, it's great. But then when you play it. You got to play at bigger venues, and you've got to do TV shows, and it's a one one and done thing. Don't screw it up. And then you got to do this press, and you got to be funny, and you got to be engaging, and you got to be this and that. You've got to be everything to everybody. It's, it feels like that sometimes, and that can, and, and it's just every day wake up and repeat. That can yeah, be but we also didn't grow up in the era of snowflakes. Like we didn't come from that era where it was like, oh my god, are you okay? Is everything all right? Because with us, there's a lot of like. Shake it off, pussy. Like, let's go. We got to... <laughs> yeah. The bus is leaving, dude. Like, well, that's, so that's we the didn't way have, it was. But, but it, yeah, it, we didn't have a, a whole lot of coddling and a lot of like, you know, let's, let's get a group therapist and talk out our problems. It's like, no, let's fucking yell at each other for 10 minutes, get it, get it all the way. 
we're all going to fucking high-five at the end of this and grab a cold beer and fucking move on. I mean, it doesn't have to be, you know, you don't have to have this big sit-down and, and you know, everyone's going to talk about how their parents fucked them up for, for, you know, the rest of their lives with a therapist. I mean, we just didn't come from that era. So we're a little old school in that in that capacity, I guess. Yeah, we're going to have some real tragic endings here as we're, <laughs> we'll all be like, you know, 75 years old talking about, I should have talked about my issues. I should have talked about these things. <laughs> but if you Push grew it up- down. Suppress oh, it. Push it down. If you grew up in, uh, you know, in the Midwest, in Canada, in some of these places that might be a little colder and it's like, I don't know. It it that is that is definitely how most of us grew up is, you know, get back out there. Yeah. And do you guys, you know, you end up with a few more albums um where every every album comes out 3 years after the next. You guys were super consistent. I don't know if that's designed that way or if it's just <laughs> coincidence, but you guys coincidence like always did that is did you ever change your expectations? Did you ever change your definition of success? And do you look at all albums equally when you look back at them? Oh, I think our, def- I think it- our definition of success is still success. If you're successful, you're successful. And if you're not successful, you're you're you got to get a day job. I mean, that's pretty much that's either you are or you aren't. Well, I, and then I, there's I, just then there's just levels of. So, I mean, for me, that's that's more of a Webster's Dictionary version of it. I'm not like, oh, well, I found the girl of my dreams, and so now I'm just so successful yeah, in but, life. I'm like, oh. Yeah, but if you put something out and, and it doesn't take off, you know, it's like that, you know, critically, <laughs> that was less successful than the previous Is it a success, one. or were you happy with it? Like, like did you like No Fixed Address? Um, like, I did. There, there were parts of that I really, I really enjoyed. And yeah, but I wouldn't call it successful. Not technically called a, a success. I, I there's lots of great stuff on right? that record, but I wouldn't call but I w- wouldn't call it successful. Exactly. So, but my, so my definition as, of success hasn't changed. Yeah. But what uh, was your what was your de- I guess then I didn't ask you to start with what was your definition to success before that? If if you're if it hasn't changed, was success uh, this you know the state? Because if that was successful, then so is feed the machine. Mm-hmm. Do you know no, what I mean? Like, no, that, the state is not successful, and neither was feed okay. the machine. The feed the machine is something we wanted to do, going into it knowing what it was probably going to do uh, globally, but we didn't care because we wanted to do it, and that yeah, has nothing cool. to do with the definition of success. That has something to do with doing it because we want to do it. Yeah, and but I also Man, think, I, I think that is successful. Like if you're able to no, be no, no. in a position we're in your career, we're able to do that because we're successful. That's different. <laughs> that's fair. Yeah. <laughs> yes, but, our success has afforded us to go into things not caring if it's going to fail. I don't so, think you can. I don't think you can actually gauge album success either. Like and comparing album to albums necessarily. Um, I mean, if you're talking one with a bunch of singles at the time, I mean, if, yeah, you, that's tough to that you can set that one aside. But timing for everything is huge. Timing for everything is 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 this the music people want to hear right now? Is if you're talking about success as being accepted, I guess is the is your music accepted? Is the project accepted? When you're not famous, 
it doesn't matter, right? Then you get famous, uh, then, and then you, you know, you hire Miami, and then the long road kind of teeters a bit, you know, maybe getting tired of us. All the right reasons comes out, pop, good songs on it. It was, re- people were ready to listen to that kind of stuff. And then it's the careful what you wish for scenario because then you can't get away from us. So that's the hard part. Then as we release, you know, here, here uh, sorry, Dark Horse, we had a, a few songs on that one that still kind of made a dent in the radio. Uh, here and Now, No Fixed Address. It's like there's some decent stuff on those, but I think there might have been fatigue. It may not have been the, the climate to want to listen to Yeah, Nickelback. but isn't it strange sure that like getting, some... They were getting tired some of, of those us. songs that m- might not have gotten success, um, we have to play them every night live. Could you imagine if we didn't play Gotta Be Somebody every night live? Like, that's one of our biggest tunes mm-hmm. live. Mm-hmm. Uh, burn It to the Ground. Yeah. It's got to, that, I, I, that's I agree. got to go in every single set. Yeah. Um, if Today Was Your Last Day. Uh, huge off that record. But, but, you, you can, um, but, but bands put out good albums that just don't, get traction. That's kind of what I'm saying. Absolutely. So so that that's Agreed. what I mean by totally. it's, it's very subjective in that sense. It's hard to like if you grab one of those albums and you put it out the same time frame you did uh, uh another successful album you had, there things might be very different. That's kind of what I'm saying. So it's just we we're finding it's timing or I'm finding it's timing with with us because I think there was a lot of fatigue on the on the band for a while because it was so the name was so ubiquitous and the songs were ubiquitous. And it's it's People don't have a chance to miss you or not know, you know, not know what it's like to not hear one of those songs. So I can understand that. So things could kind of like ebb and flow in that sense, as far as popularity or, or demand for your music. But we've been gone for about five years since his last release, and we think- broke our we broke our <laughs> three year cycle. Yeah, we broke I our know. three year cycle. <laughs> it's one of my notes. Is like clearly this is like the first time where you've actually taken that breath. I mean, I, before we go on to the to the new release, like one thing, you know, you guys are almost at a billion on songs that were released way before streaming. You know, not only twenty two million albums worldwide is. Those are great stats, but what's shocking is that these songs are 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 evergreens. Like these things are happening, where uh, they are outliving. They they apparent like they will outlive you guys. I'm dumbfounded you know? by that. Yeah, it's yeah. dude, it's fucking awesome. It's great. <laughs> Those, these it's songs like, aren't like, our songs all, anymore, that's, though. That's the thing. Yeah, I totally. love that. It's amazing. I, I'm. I have to ask, like, and you were saying, like, you know, Nickelback being everywhere and being ubiquitous. It's not like you guys live under a rock, and you know, there are all these memes, one way or the other. There's all these, like, there's, there's always a conversation about Nickelback. You guys are so famous that, like I said, the band that everyone loves to love, loves to hate, and loves to love again. You know, is it is it weird to still be to have songs that are almost a billion that are twenty years old? To be able to to still be part of the conversation, how do you how do you absorb the attention that you guys are still getting years after those songs were released? I think very graciously, because honestly, honestly, just like you say there, like to have something you've done twenty years ago still have some kind of relevance. My daughter just went to. 
her grad party uh, to start the year. And she's like, holy crap, Dad, they were playing Nickelback at night there, blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, what? She goes, yeah, I couldn't get away from it. <laughs> I'm just like, that's okay. That is okay. <laughs> it's like, I'm like, I'm surprised that, I'm genuinely surprised that they're interested to hear that. And it, it, it warms my heart to hear that. I'm just like, that's, it's not what an artist wants. They want to be like timeless. Timeless is, I'm fine with that because that's, that's the goal, man. You know, I love timeless music. I love stuff that I put on and I just don't get tired of. So if you can be in that company, that's, things are going okay. Yeah, I, I think after, you know, how long have we been in this band? 25 years or some damn thing? Uh, you know, after making music and touring the planet for a quarter of a century, and we still get to do it and somebody still gives a shit, um, I find that, you know, mind-blowing and incredibly humbling. I'm just like... Because I thought, I did not think that we'd be able to to keep going. I, I didn't think this ride would last this long. And, you know, so just to keep doing this is like, that's oh, just a dream come true. I don't know what I did in the last life, <laughs> but I must have saved somebody important. Yeah, um, for sure, especially if your life started with you trying to avoid going to prison. Um, <laughs> uh, and then now you're in this position. But speaking of which, uh, your first single is about... You know, it's it's Sam Quentin, so it's clearly uh, it 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 falls into the uh, the amazing legacy of of the Johnny Cash kind of lyric in like a real rock record. Is the rest of the album? I've I haven't listened to the whole album. I just know the single. Why did did you guys? Is the whole thing as heavy as as Sam Quentin? What was the impetus, and when everyone's writing songs about um, love and me and you, you come out with a song called Sam Quentin that isn't about, it's about escaping prison. <laughs> it's about like, trying, not, trying not to go there. Or trying um, not to, you know, it's like, the, what? There, there's, there's, there's lots more rock on the record like that one, too. Um, but there's lots of everything. It's just like all the records we put out. Um, you know, there's 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 something on there for everybody, and it's like it's something there, there's something on there for every mood uh, that we go through as human beings. I mean, if you just if all you're doing is just listening to to ballads, then you're going to get bored to tears. And if all you're doing is listening to the same rock tunes over and over, it gets a little mundane. It's just it's just repetitive. Um, and I always like my favorite records are all over the place, and and my favorite you know. Movies are the same way, and my favorite shows, like when I go see a, a show, like I don't want to be, you know, I don't want someone to croon me to sleep, and I also don't want someone to just bash my head for an hour and 45 minutes. I want the thing to ebb and flow, like it, it should have all the characteristics um, of a good movie. Um, because if you can take people on that roller coaster ride emotionally, I think at the end, once, because that way you're, you're just, you're feeding the brain so much more than just the same thing. And, and I, I find that uh, you know, we as humans consume music uh, that way. It, it just makes it so much more fulfilling um, for me. I, this I, coming out, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, I, I like though that we put out San Quentin, the clip, and then everybody's like, oh my God, this is heavy. This is so heavy for Nickelback. Oh my God. Nickelback just gone hard. They just got metalcore. They just got like no Nickelback released one song. I've seen some stuff like that, which is like, I I like that. I think, like I said, we're a rock band. 
I've always thought we're a rock band. Um, but to, I do like the surprise. Like there's a lot of, and I don't know if it if it, if if it's just people that are casually listening to the band on the radio or haven't really listened to the album, which just maybe they're not a fan, but they just listen to some passing, or they're new fans that are just discovering it. Um, I like that. I was just thinking the other day, I'm like, we should put out like, see if we can pitch like a Nickelback heavy playlist because we've been doing that for years. And the fact that people are just discovering that or realizing that again, it's like, okay, well, hey, let's bring this. Just look at this. Check these out. Because the songs that get on the radio aren't typically the, you know, rock radio for sure. And we've always put out rock singles, but our songs that (laughs) tend to like permeate society a lot more Nickelback's using that, panic chords. Yeah, yeah, great. exactly. I love, pa- I love panic, <laughs> panic chords, panic chords. I need <laughs> panic chords. <laughs> um, they're the you ones that are... get pop radio, right? And then they, people, more people know about the softer stuff and not the rock stuff. But yeah, we've been doing it for years. Uh, I, do you make your, uh, do you make your kids listen to all the Nickelback albums? Like, have I, I'm, I have a one year old, yes. so we've we've been talking about it, like. <laughs> Do I have to like? Does this does this kid have to go through like my discography? So when he grows up, he's like, "Yeah, my dad wrote that song." Or is it sort of like, "Nah, I want to no, keep you like let in him the blind." Discover it. Let him stumble let him on it. it. Let him discover it. Oh, you did that? Oh, cool. Seriously, no. My kids, they they listen to. I, I've, I they do listen to our stuff for sure. But they, it's like I don't I don't indoctrinate them with the stuff. I've I've made sure they've had a nice, well rounded, you know, pop music. The you know, the the police and. Yeah, and Queen and uh, Mastodon and James Bay and I mean Phil Collins. We get the whole thing. Genesis, like we just we listen to everything in this house. So, Chad, do you have a what's your personal life like? <laughs> Can you see behind me? Yeah, <laughs> looks, it's probably looks, the same as yours. No, looks like um, this one. Yeah, my my personal life is just now. It's all about. Because uh, so many of my friends are nine to fivers, um, it's just waiting for them or trying to convince them to take chunks of time off so we can go enjoy the fruits of my labor. Because I'm like, I'm like, you guys, I bought this new boat. Let's all let's go take this boat out and let's go live on this boat for like ten days and you know let's go up to this lake house I bought and you know it's, I'm always just like I want to bring the people like my friends that I love dearly. I try and just just shower them with you know as much love as I can and spoil them absolutely rotten because if you got all the toys in the world and you're by yourself it's got to be a pretty boring existence um but uh yeah no I love to just I love to share um you know so much stuff with you know my dad's here my dad's in town he's over at the house and the second we're done I think we're going to head up to the lake house (laughs) cool uh, well, we're going to go to the, the last segment, which is going to be a five for five. I'm just going to list five things, and you can tell me what comes off the top of your head. We're going to start with the other two guys that are not on this podcast that belong to Nickelback, starting with Daniel. Idiot. And and what do you want to know about Daniel? <laughs> I don't know. Whatever like whatever first comes off the top of your head. <laughs> Peak, Ryan, Ryan go. Said, <laughs> oh, I reiterate, off, idiot. Um, off the chain. Yeah, Daniel. Daniel's an awesome, amazing drummer. Amazing, amazing drummer, and funny as hell, and a complete idiot. And I get along with him very well on the road. And uh, yeah, he's fun to play with. He's a good goalie, but he doesn't play hockey. He's a very he's a very entertaining uh, drummer. Um, let's go with Mike. Your your yeah, Mike. 
Mike is the uh, Mike is the grandpa in the band. <laughs> um, not just because he's the oldest, but uh, I don't know. Like Mike is Mike, Mike is the necessary voice of reason in the band. I believe Mike is the unnecessary voice of reason. <laughs> no, necessary. <laughs> that is? Okay, whatever. <laughs> uh, let's go with Roadrunner. Um, they're they're passionate. Just so they're you know for us. They were so heavily dedicated, and uh, there's there's nothing but love. I, I yep. you know, I I wish to this day we could still be signed to them, um, but you know we've moved on and they've moved on, and and they're not really the same label. They are not at all the same label they were when we were signed to them. Um, not even close. Yeah. Um, so th- those those glory days are gone, but nothing but fond memories. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. For sure. Hannah, Alberta. Hometown. Where it all Good started. Memories. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's bizarre. The older you get, the more nostalgic you get. You know, the more you miss. I mean, it used to just be, I would think about my childhood and I'd think about this stuff, you know, occasionally throughout the day. But the older I get, man, it's just, it's like, it's all encompassing now. I just find myself, it's like every third thought is just thinking about my, my childhood, thinking so much about, you know, where we grew up and, and all, the, all the amazing times we had. Yeah, it's amazing that that's the town that, you know, all, all the people who've ever enjoyed one of your songs owes something to that town. It's, it's oh, just dude, where that's such a nice thing to say, and that's such a cool way to say it. Thanks, man. I do this for a living. All right, Ryan. Uh, Sometimes you hit the post, man. Yeah, everyone's so. Uh, Ryan, Chad. To me, Chad? Yeah. Chad. Idiot. <laughs> Idiot. <laughs> uh, like, talented songwriter, funny guy, great guy to hang around. Um, I mean, everybody, we're still a band for a reason. So, hell of a guy. Chad. Hell of a guy. Okay. Uh, wouldn't it be like if I, I feel like I should just say something other than peak? Wouldn't that just be such a dick move? Okay, no, Chad. That'd be, I, that'd be great. And so, and, and, and what do you think about, what do you guys think about me? What about me? Okay, yeah, me. Chad. About, so, Chad, <laughs> from what I think Go. of me, what do yeah, you guys think yeah, of yeah, me? What do you guys think of me? Uh, Chad, um, Chad, peak. Um, okay. Ryan, stop listening. Because oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna gush about keep you it, here. Keep for a it second. short. Um, Ryan is probably the best father any kid could ever ask for, the best husband any woman could ever dream of, um, and as a friend, a confidant, uh, a comrade in the trenches, um, he is the most caring, loving truthful human that you could ever find yourself standing next to if you were in this band. So I am just, I I just feel blessed to 
have Ryan Peake still want to play music with me 25 years later. And that is honest to God. That's very kind. I need to rewrite my vows, I think. I I got to get mine longer, so. (laughs) (laughs) We'll just edit. If you die before (laughs) me, you're fucking... Your eulogy, your Ugoogly is going to be quite something. My Ugoogly, make a good one. Bet you didn't think I was such a good Ugoogalizer. <laughs> well, thank you guys for doing the podcast. Uh, you know, it's for me, this is always fun where I get to talk to people who are from all different walks of life, who have, who were famous long before we were, any of us were making music, people who are younger. But to, there were certain bands that were very successful when I was just starting off in bands trying to get record deals. And, it, and it's, it's fascinating to see how time does what time does. But I know I was speaking of gushing, but talking about like how songs like from that era of 2001 to 2008, a lot of those biggest hits that you guys had are just as big now. Like They're as big as the biggest songs I have had in the last 15 years. And it's like those songs are older and they're still strong now and they're still pushing the envelope. And it's really, it's very cool to have you guys on this and and, and uh, uh, you guys are, are cool. You guys are cool in my book. Thanks, oh, man. Dude, thank you. Thanks I for appreciate the, time, the interest, man. even, but man, that's great. I had a good time. Yeah. Well, uh, cool. good luck on the new album. I know it comes out pretty soon, and the uh, you know, good job on the first single, man. It's fun thank to you, listen dude. to. Him. Thanks, Keep man. Going. We'll see you down the road. There you go. Awesome. This episode is produced by Joe London, Hypnosis. Mega House Management, and myself. Shout out Paige McDonald, Kelly Fox, Casey Robinson, David Silberstein, Tim Kirchin, Zach Weinstein. See you all next week. I'm Ross Golan, signing off.